WX6BZ Macon, W290BD Montezuma, WXKO AM Fort Valley, WCEH FM Pinehurst, WWKM FM Rochelle, thesuperstations.com. Braves, Bulldogs, Falcons, Yellow Jackets, Hawks, Eagles. From the heart of Georgia, it's the Bill Shank Show. Hour number two of our broadcast. Welcome back. Thank you very much for being with us. We are at the Taco Shed here in Warner Robins. And we will take phone calls later on in this hour. We look forward to that. Time to talk a little Georgia football with Jake Roos from DogsHQ.com, On3.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Roos Recruiting. Hey, Jake, how are you? I'm good, Bill. Thanks for having me, buddy. Good to talk to you. Yes, sir. Always great to talk Georgia football. You know, I, I – uh, Oh, man, Jake, I hate to get in recruiting. I hate to know all these names this early in the process. I told myself 10 years ago I'd stop this nonsense, but you, you, uh, I'll blame you for partly getting me back interested in this. But it's hard not to be interested when Georgia's doing what they're doing with this recruiting right now, isn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, I, you know, I get, your, uh, I get your concern. It's about as far away as we could possibly <laughs> be from the signing period. And so you got to take everything that's said with a grain of salt. But at the same time, man, you know, there's a lot of positive momentum for Georgia right now on the recruiting trail in terms of just, uh, you know, the buzz that they're generating. A lot of guys are setting official visits right now. Um, you know, Justin Scott, one of the top defensive linemen in America, already locked in for his visit. Uh, DeMello Jones, who's one of the guys who I think will be a household name by the end of this cycle, uh, a top athlete out of Swainsboro. He's locked in with the Bulldogs now as well. Uh, you know, they've got six or seven guys that are already kind of uh, planning to come see them officially, and uh, it, it's a strong list. I, I think that this summer is going to be uh, going to be nuts, especially uh, even compared to last summer. Last summer was pretty outstanding. Well, DeMello Jones is one of the ones I wanted to mention, and, and mainly because of some of the things he said about the relentless recruiting that is going on from Fran Brown, who – I think when a lot of people heard Fran Brown being hired at Georgia, a lot of people were like, who? But this guy has become an elite recruiter, and I, I loved what Jones said about how about every day Fran Brown gives him a call, and that's could lead to DeMello Jones being of a dog here if he, if he uh, continues to like what he's hearing, couldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that you, you're spot on. Fran really – I mean, I, I remember when I first heard the news and I was like, that's – not what I expected, um, but they've really, you know, I, I think that they've really brought him along. Um, you know, I think the pairing with Will Muschamp has been outstanding. Um, you know, so he's a, he's a young guy. He's got a lot of energy, uh, but he's also working with some fantastic coaches as well. Um, you know, and the ties that he brings, I think, are, are sometimes what can be overlooked by people. You know, you're talking about a guy who can dip into South Florida, uh, but also hails from uh, New England. So he's got roots kind of on both ends of the spectrum. He's able to get it, uh, get down south and recruit those guys in that Miami area, but he's also able to go back to his stomping grounds up there in New Jersey and pull kids from the northeast. That was a pretty untapped area for Georgia. They didn't have a ton of guys that they pulled out of there. Isaiah Wilson's one of the few that come to mind um, in the recent era. But, um, you know, otherwise, it's kind of been a, a bit of a wild west. And, you know, you, those guys, for the most part, are hard to pull, but – you know, credit for Fran Brown. He's done an outstanding job up there. And like you said, I, I think he's on a, a great trajectory. Uh, Matt Rule uh, recently even said as much, basically, that, you know, a lot of these guys, we've seen several Georgia players transferred to Nebraska. He said 
Fran Brown was a big mm-hmm. reason why because he knew what he was looking for. He knew he knew how he runs practices, and uh, you know he said that that's a guy who's uh, going to be a head coach one day. And given how his uh, his career trajectory, I think that that would be uh, foolish to doubt him on that. You said you think that we'll know more of Demello Jones moving forward. And he'll be a, a, a real name here as he gets into his senior season. What do you think Georgia wants him as, Jake? Yeah, you know the the real feeling, given how strongly it is with Fran right now. I think they're thinking DB for him, um, but he's mm-hmm. playing, but he's getting love from both ways. I mean, I, I think he's really, and it's interesting because this is the case with a couple of guys in this class. KJ Bolden, Mike Matthews is like this. There's several guys in this class who are true two-way athletes, and so when you run into guys like this, you really just take that approach of, hey, get them on campus, we'll figure it out from there. Um, you know, we'll, we'll tell them what they need to hear, get them on, and get them in. And, um, you know, I think Jones right now, Georgia likes what he brings at DB, uh, speed, lengths, um, you know, great ball skills. He's focused a little bit more, I think, on wide receiver, and that's not unusual for a kid of his caliber at this uh, stage in his mm-hmm. career. Um, you know, just offensive weapon, being able to get down the field and get by guys is such a premium. But uh, I think DeMello Jones is a guy that Georgia really likes at that uh, that corner spot, and uh, I think that uh, they're going to continue to press heavily to get him there. You, you mentioned K.J. Bolden being from Buford. He's the fourth overall prospect on the on-three consensus and the top safety, and, and George already has the second and third rated safeties. And his teammate at Buford, Edric Houston, is uh, also one of the top players, rated 12th overall in the on-three consensus. Both five-star prospects, both outstanding prospects. Are they a package deal? Or how close are they? Are they tied together? What do you think about that? And what's their timetable, Jake? I, you know, I have not gotten a sense uh, at all in speaking to either one of them that there are any sort of package deal. You know, Buford, Buford is uh, almost a JUCO to some degree. I mean, they, yeah. those guys, those guys kind of just do what they need to do. Uh, you know, it's a pro factory. So uh, I don't think that that's the case for either one. Bolden seems like he's maybe kind of narrowing things down uh, a little bit more firmly and uh, will probably get his official visit process rolling here soon. I know Ohio State's one of those that he's looking at. Uh, you're also looking, uh, you know, Georgia's in the mix there as well. He's got um, USC, I think, is pretty heavily in consideration. Clemson's another one that looks like they're going to be in the mix as well. Houston seems a little bit more wide open. He seems like he's taking his time a little bit more. Um, going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But I think Georgia's in a great spot for him. And really, to be quite frank, of the two of them, I think that they need Houston more. Uh, he looks like a perfect five technique. Those are really tough to come by. Um, Georgia didn't really pull one in this class. Uh, they'll probably take an edge guy and convert him over there. But they didn't have like a uh, straight-out edge or a straight-out five technique. I think Houston's that mm-hmm. guy in this class, and I think that uh, Georgia's going to press heavily to make sure that they get uh, the top player in the, the nation at that spot. Well, they're both outstanding prospects. I, I think I want K.J. Bolden just because uh, how, what a kick it would be for Georgia to get the top three safeties in the nation, which for me, Jake, just reiterates my thought process about Kirby Smart and how he wants the secondary to be elite every single year. They've already gotten Peyton Woodyard, the kid from California, Jalen Hayward from Florida, and rated above them is K.J. Bolden. I mean, that would almost be unprecedented for a team to get the top three players at a certain position. That just doesn't happen very often. No, it would be absolutely goofy. I mean, it would be ridiculous. There's really no other way to say it. I mean, there's, you know, but that's, 
you know, that's what you've got going when you're able to produce guys that are going to the league, right, uh, in the way that you see a guy like uh, uh, Chris Smith. You know, you take him. He's a great developmental piece. He comes out, does a tremendous job, steps up his game, and he's headed to the draft. He's going to get it. He's going to get drafted. Javon Bullard, another guy you take him, three-star out of Baldwin. Take him, develop him, MVP of the bowl games, uh, national championship, comes up huge. Uh, uh, going to be one of the top considered guys, I think, next year for a, a star safety position. Um, you know, when you're talking draft, Malachi Star, and they show that they're able to utilize a guy, even with all the depth that they have, a guy with that kind of talent early on in his career, early and often. Guys want that playing time. They want to be out there early. Georgia's proven they can do it on both ends. They can take you and develop your skills, but also if you're that dude kind of coming out, they're going to be able to find a spot for you right away. Jake Roos, our guest on 3.com, dogshq.com. Speaking of Woodyard, Woodyard he's, he's coming on April the 15th to uh, the G-Day game, and then he'll take his official visit on June the 2nd through the 4th that weekend. He's already committed. But I, I want to talk about his comment about Dylan Rayola, the quarterback who's the number one rated prospect in the country for, for next year, Jake. Peyton said – Dylan knows he's family. I would love to play with him at Georgia. Dylan, come on home. How much will those kind of relationships matter compared even to the relationship that we talked about last week that Mike Bobo has with Dylan Riola and that that relationship through Matthew Stafford and the fact that Stafford played with Dylan's dad with the Lions? What, what about those player relationships? Will that matter to Dylan? I think that that will, yeah, sure. I think that that'll give him a level of comfort uh, at, at uh, various places. I think that that's something that everybody's looking for. They want that brotherhood. And you guys want to play with similarly talented guys. And, you know, Georgia right now sitting with the number one class in America when it comes to 2024 and look to have a pretty good handle on uh, kind of carrying that over for some time. So, you know, I think that those relationships can be impactful. Is it a make-or-break thing at the end of the day? Probably not. I mean, he's a kid who's going to choose his own path, certainly, and I don't know that he's going to be, you know, dictated necessarily by what a, a safety from California chooses to do, but I don't think that it hurts anything at all. And if anything, it's probably a huge help because, like I said, the brotherhood idea is something we're hearing more and more and more over these last couple of years is uh, kids want to be – tight with their teammates and want guys that are going to hold them accountable, call them out. And, um, you know, I think that, you know, when you have that familiarity, you're able to make that happen. Jake, uh, Georgia already has a pretty good number of recruits right now. They have 10. With, with the type of quality talents that they are projecting could be on their radar, how important is it for recruits that Georgia has offered to commit quickly? Are, are they kind of rolling the dice if they wait? considering how good this pro- this class is looking? Uh, that, it's kind of a case-by-case basis, I would say. You know, guys like K.J. Bolton okay. and Edgar Houston are, are not going to have to worry about that. But, you know, if you're a guy that, you know, you've got Georgia and let's say uh, – an example would be, let's say you were a Javon Bullard-esque recruit in this class and you maybe Louisville, uh, you know, Middle Tennessee and Georgia Tech and then Georgia comes in, if, they, if that's a committable offer, you should probably hop on that if that's what you want to do because they're not going to have a lot. I mean, they're, I just don't think they're going to have a lot of those guys um, kind of lingering out there this year. They're going to, I think, move quickly. I think they're going to move decisively, and they're going to be able to, in a lot of cases, I think, pick and choose what they want and who they want. And so, uh, yeah, I think that definitely if guys want to get in on the train, uh, they better go ahead and pull the trigger. 
All right, I, w- I want to ask you about a couple of players on, on the current roster. Um, first of all, I, I think you talked about this when he transferred in, but, but the Bowie kid, uh, when, when I look at this, this depth chart for Georgia, obviously uh, we, we know that they are going to have to replace Khalid Ringo at that cornerback. Do you expect Devin Bowie to, to challenge Dalen Everett and Nyland Green for that other spot across from Laster? I'm going to be intrigued to see what happens there, to be honest with you. I, I don't know because I, I think that there's a real possibility that Bowie factors in as one of the safety spots. I think that that's where mm-hmm. he might end up. Um, you know, you've got to replace Chris Smith, so how do you do that? Well, I think possibly you look at Bowie there. I think also you have to consider the possibility of taking a guy like Javon Bullard and moving him there if you feel like he's the best suited for the spot and then maybe let Bowie hold down that star position. I think he's probably a little bit deeper in the secondary than corner. Um, that's just kind of my uh, early take on it. You know, they've got some young guys, some, some great depth there as well, um, and I think that that probably offers him the best opportunity to seal, see the field fastest. So that's my early inclination is that he's probably competing for a star or safety spot before a corner spot. Well, and the reason I ask that is I, I thought I remembered when Georgia was, was recruiting him out of uh, the Bainbridge area a couple of years ago that he was talked about as, as being looked at as a safety by the Georgia staff. Was that true? Do you remember that or not? Uh, you know, I think that it, it was sort of uh, one of those – as far as I can remember back to that, it was sort of, uh, you know – uh, a figure it out when you arrive kind of deal again. Get him in, of, yeah. Yeah, it was just sort of, hey, look, you know, we like you at safety, we like you at corner, we like you at start, but you know, we'll figure that out when we get here and when we get a chance to get our balls yeah. on you. And I think that that's uh, ultimately kind of what Georgia ended up deciding to do in taking him this time. You know, it's uh, I, like I said I, to me, I just I say that safety, or the safety spot just makes the most sense to me, just given the need, but. You know, he has a skill set that I think could function well at, at either of those spots, to be honest with you. Jake, uh, your colleague at Dogs HQ, Jake Rowe, who was on in football season with Russ and Daniel on the Midday Show, uh, reported on your website that he is still hearing a lot of chatter, good chatter, positive chatter, about Raylan Wilson and C.J. Allen. And when I saw that, I laughed because I'm like, how much more positive chatter can we hear about these inside linebackers? I mean, I, I, I just don't know what the heck they're going to do with all the talent that they have behind Smile Munden and Jamon Dumas-Johnson. Um, I just can't imagine there being a, a position more stacked than, than that for any team in, in the country on defense. I think we've already talked about the possibility of Jalen Walker moving outside and perhaps competing for that other spot across from what we assume will be Marvin Jones uh, Jr. having the the inside track on that Nolan Smith spot. But what are they going to do with all this talent inside linebacker? I mean, it's scary, especially if Wilson and Allen, once they put the pads on and start practicing again with this team, uh, how much talent there is inside linebacker spot. I assume they're going to wake up every day and thank God that they have this problem. I mean, that's, that's what I would do. <laughs> uh, no, I, it, it is. It's, it's ridiculous. It's, a, it's, a, it's an embarrassment of riches, certainly. But, you know, I think that Georgia's shown a really – I think, and it's like I mentioned with the idea of, um, you know, some, getting some of these young guys in, especially at that safety spot. But I think it's definitely true at, at a linebacker as well. Look, 
they're going to find a way to utilize these guys. I mean, they if yeah. you've got if you've got the skill and you've got the ability, you know, they're going to find a way to get you on the field. Uh, they didn't necessarily need Jalen Walker at uh, inside linebacker last year, but guess what? He ended up finding himself a, a home at the outside linebacker position and was very effective there. So. You know, I think that those capabilities are what make Georgia such a compelling sell for a lot of recruits. And I also think that it's something that, uh, you know, they are going to be able to, to figure out as, as things continue to go on. I think that they'll, they'll have roles for all of those guys. I think that, you know, CJ and, uh, and Raylan were two very, very special recruits coming out. Um, I think everybody, everybody who had a chance to watch them would tell you that. And um, I, I think that uh, it's not a lot of surprise necessarily, but it's great to hear. And uh, I'm really intrigued to see how far these guys can push it. Because like you said, you've got a couple of really outstanding players ahead of you. You know, are they going to be able to uh, kind of get in there and maybe steal some snaps from some of these guys? If so, that's, uh, that's quite a feather in the cap for these freshmen. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. It really is. And, and, you know, if, Marvin Jones Jr. is going to be on the other side. And let's say Walker competed with Darius Smith, who, you know, I asked you about early last year, and you said, oh, yeah, that could be a freak. And he showed glimpses of it at times uh, last year with his athleticism and just what he can do. I mean, it's just unbelievable of what they have there. And it's going to be awfully fun to watch in spring and in the month of August for sure. Jake, great stuff. Thank you so much for your insight. We appreciate it. We'll chat with you again next week. All right, Bill. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, Jake Roos, our guest at Roos Recruiting on Twitter. And, you know – I think the Georgia reporters like Jake Rowe mentioning that on his website, dogshq.com, and both Jake's website. I almost think they want to temper their enthusiasm because they're not trying to to get people worked up about these players, but when they hear these things, they want to share it. They want to share another report of Raylan Wilson, for example. Let's just take him because Raylan Wilson has – consistently been talked about as someone who in the 2023 class could be the best recruit of them all, someone who could be a, a, another Roquan. And when you think about that kind of player coming in and you know that that position's already stacked even before they got there, you, you just kind of can't comprehend how they can work this out. But again, I've said many times to me the most important thing that – Kirby Smart has been able to accomplish is the way he gets playing time for these players. And I'll go back to before the 2021 season when we looked at some of the players who were getting ready to take over and get more playing time. You had Nolan Smith had in 2020 10 games played, one game started. Quay Walker, 10 games played, two games started. Channing Tindall, 10 games played, no starts in 2020. Adam Anderson, 10 games played, no starts in 2020. Well, they didn't have to start in 2020 because there was Aziz Ojolari, Jermaine Johnson, Monty Rice. I mean, there were already good players there. And then in 2022, when we were looking at players that were getting ready to take over for those same players I just mentioned, Smile Munden going into 2022 – and Jamon Dumas Johnson going into 2022 were both the projected starters at inside linebacker. 
the previous year in 2021, they had both played 14 games with no starts. Well, I mean, they didn't start a game because obviously Quay Walker and Nicobe Dean were in the spots at inside linebacker. But even with those two getting those starts, Kirby Smart got Smile Munden and Jamon Dumas Johnson 14 games played. So when it was ready time for them to take over as the starters in 2022, they had plenty of snaps under their belt. I mean, plenty. They were 10% of the snaps that were, were taken by the defense they had played in. 10%. Now, they both had just over 100 snaps in 2021. Smile Munden had 104 snaps and Jamin Dumas Johnson 103. So that's right at 10% of the 1,003 total defensive snaps that were taken in 2021. That was enough. So they, they got about 10 snaps a game for 14 games, and that was enough. Kirby Smart and Dan Lanning then threw them out there to get them tremendous experience for their preparation to have a, a more serious job as a starter moving forward in 2022. And let me tell you, that, that's why there was no, there was no drop-off whatsoever in the defense last year. Now, I know you're going to say, well, but look what they did against Ohio State. Look what they did. I get it. I get it. Uh, okay. But look what they did against Tennessee when Tennessee was averaging 50 points per game going into that game. Georgia shut them down. Georgia's defense didn't drop off at all last year. I don't need any stats. And it was mainly because of how Kirby Smart perfectly, 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 what the hell was that? Perfectly massaged that roster to get playing time for those defensive players. And it helps when you have leads. I'm not going to dispute that. But he, he rotates people in and out. And, Russ, I think that's the thing that's going to keep this program, along with the elite recruiting, at, at a high level for many years to come because he's, he has learned that through Alabama, of, and, and he was in charge of the defense. He was the defense coordinator at Alabama. So you know, Russ, there were tons of games where he looked at his Alabama depth chart and he knew there were more than 11 players that needed to play snaps. They were probably pushing 20 or 25 because of the talent level at Alabama. And he's just brought that with him. And, and I think that's why we sit here in February and say, how in the heck is he going to get all these guys playing time when they look like they deserve it? Yeah. He'll figure it out. He'll find a way. Yeah. And, and it's just kind of – it's one of those things. It's almost like a cycle that builds on itself because from the recruiting standpoint, hey, when you come here, you're going to play. Here's the, here's the playing time chart mm -hmm. for our guys. And then – and then you know a new season rolls around, and you got to replace Nolan Smith, and you got to replace Keely Ringo, and all these uh, Christopher Smith, and all these guys. Okay, well, how are you going to do that? Well, the, the, this is the playing time that those guys behind them got during the regular season. So then they're prepared to step in, and then you go to the next class. Hey, you'll get playing time, and then those players come from a visit and say, "Yeah, man, I was prepared to step up as a sophomore or junior and take on a leadership role in the defense because of how much I played as a freshman." So if you come here next year, you will play. And it just and, and that's and like you said, having big leads is part of that. But you know, that's back in the '90s. That's what Florida State was able to do. USC in the early 2000s, like you said, Alabama. Um, you know, and it's and I know Nick Saban gets upset when they start asking about the second team players before they're getting ready to play. You know, an FCS program before the Auburn game. But that's why those questions get asked because 
that's what they do with that time when they get the opportunity. I mean, they're, you know, the first thing is to win the game. But, I mean, even if you get up by a couple of touchdowns, you know, and you can slide those guys in for a defensive series in the second half. I mean, you don't want to get yourself in too much trouble. you got to make sure those guys are ready to play because you don't want the momentum of the game to change. But that is one thing, and it's like you started tracking it on your depth charts. It's not, you know, how many starts did they get, how many snaps have these guys played, and that matters. That's experience. That that counts. Absolutely. Absolutely. And to be able to get it in a game like Tennessee – Look, how, uh, we don't even need to go back. We know that when they were up 65-7 to and the game was out of hand in, in Los Angeles, they got plenty of young kids, plenty of time, and those kids were in high school a year ago. You know, they had no idea that they would be able to have that type of opportunity. Well, it kind of helped the offense getting all those points. Uh, but, I mean, they can say they were in a championship game. And, yeah, I, I just think that even if you – if a smile Munden and Jamin Dumas Johnson, let's say, were able to talk to an inside linebacker prospect like Raylan Wilson, who we were speaking of earlier, and say, hey, you know what? A year before I got these 15 starts, I played in 10% of the snaps for the defense as a freshman. I hate to tell you, but if you're a freshman and you think you are going to have the chance to play in 10% of the snaps for a team that's a national championship contender, it's a big damn deal. <laughs> Because it's not about coming in and playing and, oh, I'm going to start 10 games. No, that ain't going to happen now. It's a different ball game. That should be looked at as that's that's an honor to be able to have that many snaps for a team of this caliber. So it, it's uh, it, it's just incredible of what, what Kirby is putting together. It really is. All right, we're going to take a break, come back. There's some NFL talk that I want to uh, chat with Russ about. We'll do that. Then we'll open the phone lines. We're at the Taco Shed here in Warner Robins. And we are back with more sports talk on this Tuesday right after this. Welcome back, and thank you for being with us, Bill and Russ, talking sports here on this Tuesday. We appreciate your listening to the show, and uh, we had an article on ESPN about the NFL free agency, which, of course, is just a few weeks away, and they had some predictions of what's going to be the best fit for some of these free agents. A little disappointed they did not predict that Javon Hargrave was a good fit for Atlanta. (laughs) Wouldn't mind having him. Uh, But they did predict a couple of players would be with the Falcons and and that they could be a good fit. wanted to mention a couple of them here. One was Jamel Dean, and he's a a 26-year-old who has been with Tampa Bay. He was – out of Auburn, third-round pick back in 2019. They've got him as the ninth-best free agent for the free agency period coming up. And, of course, A.J. Terrell is on the other side. Look, um, the safety position is very interesting. And I think uh, you guys mentioned on the Midday Show that Josh Kendall of The Athletic predicted that – the cornerback that many believe is going to be the top cornerback picked in the draft, Christian Gonzalez Gonzalez from Oregon. Yes. Would be Atlanta's pick, or he predicted, Josh predicted that Christian Gonzalez would be the Atlanta pick at number eight. And we've talked to us about the balance that Atlanta's going to have to have. 
And let me, let me mention the other two uh, predictions that they had here in this ESPN article because I think they're both very interesting. The other two really excited me because they're really uh, big, big name players. They also predicted Atlanta would sign Dalvin Tomlinson and team him with Grady Jarrett and then TJ Edwards, who we talked a little bit about before the Super Bowl. He was with Philadelphia tied for sixth in the NFL with 159 tackles this past season. Th- those obviously are three players that the three different areas of the defense uh, up front with Tomlinson and then Edwards and, and a linebacker and then Jamel D. Now uh, that's not really a pass rusher, but um, I, I think Atlanta's going to spend a lot of their money on, on the defense, to be honest with you. They also believe that Atlanta should um, re-sign Caleb McGarry, which – matters in this conversation because if Caleb McGarry is re-signed as a right tackle, they would not have to sign perhaps but one offensive lineman at one of the guard spots at the left guard spot. And they seem to be happy with Drew Dalman at center. McGarry is a free agent, unrestricted free agent. So if they bring him back, they'd have both tackle spots pretty much under wraps with, of course, Jake Matthews, the veteran under contract for a while. Let me ask you a question about that first and get your thoughts on this because I've been a little indifferent about the current setup at offensive line and think they continue to need to continue to strengthen that position no matter what if Desmond Ritter is going to be their guy regardless of who somebody's going to be their guy. They just need to have good offense. That's why we've been interested in also a potential offensive tackle for the eighth spot. Considering the fact Chris Lindstrom is the right guard, and Chris Lindstrom is one of the highest-graded guards in the NFL. Could that help Chris, uh, Kayla McGarry continue to improve and be solid there so that the right side of their offensive line would be adequate? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think so. I mean, the offensive line definitely was one of the bright spots this season. I mean, they outperformed our expectations. The pass block still has – some issues but yeah I mean I think McGarry's young enough he's still kind of in a developmental phase to where I mean you would if, if he is brought back that's one of the things they really have to get better at obviously is, is is their pass protection but yeah it could they could that group could get better well if they feel that that's the case then they need to bring Caleb McGarry back and while I'm still a little questionable about his pass blocking there's no question that this coach likes to run the ball. I think we found a running back, obviously, in Tyler Algier, so that could be very important, especially if Lindstrom can help McGarry on that side. They're going to have to get a, a new left guard. I don't think there's any doubt about that. They, they've got to have at least one new offensive lineman on this roster. But if they can get that through free agency with a guard, then they can still make the decision if they wanted to, to go down the road of the, the, the swing tackle that we've talked about a little bit. But the defense is so key for this team. They, they've got a tremendous opportunity. And when you see a, a, a trio that was predicted here with another cornerback that would obviously either play or replace Casey Hayward, someone to, to go up and play with Grady up front, and Dallin Tomlinson, who is still a very good player, and an inside linebacker like T.J. Edwards, they've had a revolving door at this inside linebacker spot. 
They let Foy Olakon go to Jacksonville, and he had a really good season for the Jaguars. That looks like a mistake now. They allowed him to walk away. But what do you think about those three players they predicted for Atlanta, Dean Tomlinson and Edwards? I, I, yeah, I, I think that could really help the defense. And I think that's where the investment needs to be is on that side of the ball to, to improve them because you have to get a pass rush. Now, obviously, if they do that, that eighth pick has, needs to be an edge rusher. Yep. Uh, there's no doubt. But, if you know, that's the strongest group in this draft. And we've seen the list of names. I mean, it looks like – they should have about two or three guys to choose from with that eighth overall pick. So, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. And I think a guy like Dalvin Tomlinson is going to help Grady Jarrett's pass rush or vice versa, depending on whoever they want to double team out of that duo. Right. And that should make the guys, uh, Maloney and Ibikiti, that they've already brought in, that could help them too. But I still think you need an elite-type pass rusher on the other side. But you could probably find somebody like that in the draft. And, you know, you bring in – some help in that secondary, and you get Casey Hayward back too. So, you know, you, you've got your nickel package there. So, I, you know, the, the closer we get, I think the focus on the offseason really needs to be on the defensive side because if you think about the offensive side of the ball, they can run block. It's one of the best run blocking lines in the, in the NFL. Maybe, maybe might have their quarterback. They definitely have a receiver in Drake London. They definitely have another target in Kyle Pitts. They do need a burner at the receiver position on the outside. And you mentioned Tyler Algier. Uh, Patterson's still there. You know, you, and you've got to keep the depth going at running back. So, uh, you know, I, I would, I, it'd be cool to see them throw a lot of that cash at the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I, I like the predictions. I don't know much about Dean, but I think uh, everybody knows Dallin Tomlinson. He's a really good player. And, and you do have to wonder, even though Tomlinson's not a pass rusher, I think he's only got a handful of sacks mm-hmm. in his career – but, you know, what would the two of them together, Grady and Dalvin Tomlinson, be up front for this Falcons team to allow? Because, look, Ibikiti and Malone are two draft picks that they had last year. They liked past tense, meaning when they drafted them, I think they still liked them from the glimpses they saw this past year, and they would want to develop them even more. And, again, you have an inside presence like Tomlinson and Edwards there. And this is just examples now. I, th- I think it's just interesting to talk about examples because we have no idea what they're going to do specifically. But when they put these three together with another cornerback and who's obviously rated very highly and then Tomlinson, a veteran, and Edwards, a veteran, it, it just kind of gets you excited about what the possibilities are with the combination of free agency and the draft of making this dra- this defense much better for 2023. Yeah, I, I mean, next year – I mean, for me, anyway, I, I'm, there's going to be a playoff expectation. Sure. And, and, you know, and that might mean 9-8 and eight and winning the NFC South. Okay, we'll take it, you know, compared to where this team's been. But, you know, if you think about last season – now, granted, the NFC South was a terrible division. But they were one play away from winning the division. I yeah. mean, that could be the Drake London drop that ended up being an interception against the Saints, the Phantom – Grady Jarrett call, but that, whatever the case may be, they were just a handful of plays away from being in the playoffs last year. That was with 80-plus million dollars in dead cap money. Now you get to spend, if you want to, you know, neighborhood of $45, $55 million in cap money are, are in free agency, and, and plus you get another draft to add to this. I, I don't think it's unrealistic to have an expectation for this team. No. I'm not going to say NFC champion or go to the Super Bowl or anything crazy like that, but I think they should be in the playoffs next year. Well, especially if they were to get a player, which they will, at all the positions we're talking about, up front, in the middle, and then in in the secondary. I mean, they're going to get multiple. We know that. I mean, this roster 
had a lot of dead money, had a lot of positions that had dead money, and therefore it, it's going to be improved. And I'm with you. Look, I mean, I know they're going to have, and I think in Josh's mock draft, he had a receiver going, what, third or fourth round, I Fourth believe. round, yeah. Um, I, I don't think there's any doubt that's a possibility. I, I think that if you could get a, a speedster to go along with London and, and Patterson and Pitts, that would be really good. Uh, Russ, we were talking at our little Bulldog lunch today about the Darnell Washington <laughs> dream of, of, boy, what would that be if they were able to get Darnell in the second round, which I don't know if he's going to last in the second round, to be honest with you. But, you know, I think it, it, McGarry could be important to that. If they feel confident enough in McGarry, and look, Arthur said, dang, I'm offensive line coach. If mm-hmm. he's convinced McGarry, then they need to bring him back because that would be one less spot they'll have to go deal with. they because, I, I look, I don't know if I want to – I mean, I'd love Broderick Jones or Paris Johnson Jr. I'm not saying I wouldn't, but I just want that position to be a position of strength. And when you bring an offensive tackle in, you've got to be convinced without a shadow of a doubt that he's the guy. And maybe they do feel that one of those three could be there at number eight, you know, with a kid Peter Skaronsky or Broderick Jones or or – Paris Johnson Jr., but, man, if McGarry – and I'm saying if because I'm not convinced, but if they think that, then I think we will see them bring him back. I can't imagine them wanting to not bring him back unless the money gets out of hand, which, I mean, he's he's looking to get some, some money. And it should also be said to remind everybody that even before this article came out that Atlanta has already been linked with Jesse Bates the third from Cincinnati who had dinner. We talked about that a little bit yesterday. He had dinner reportedly with a couple of Falcons players – He's a safety that is represented by an agent who represents a lot of Falcons players. That's where that tie was coming from. And James Bradbury has been mentioned, who, even though he made a very bad mistake in the in the Super Bowl, is a very good cornerback for Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Hell, let me tell you something. I'll take anybody from Philadelphia's defense. <laughs> yeah, I'll take their no leftovers. Kidding. That's why I said about Hargrove. Yeah, give know. me the second team D-line. I'm good with that. Yeah, but it, it it's kind of exciting to see that those kind of names being floated out there for Atlanta, and, and again, they're going to have the second most cap space behind Chicago, over $60 million to where they should be able to attract those kind of play. If I'm a defensive free agent, Atlanta is somewhere I'm looking. Uh, I mean, I know Chicago needs defense too, but, man, opportunity and cap space, I'm looking at those two teams. Yeah, and that's it. I mean, who's more likely to go to the playoffs next year? I mean, I, I'm, it's, it's clearly it's the Atlanta Falcons. And you can say, well, that's just because of the division they're in. Okay. That's that's fine. That's fine. I mean, that's, it is what it is. But, yeah, we want to make money and play for a competitive team that's going to be in big-time playoff games. It's going to make Atlanta very attractive. There's no doubt about it. We're going to take a break, come back, and as we do, we will open up the phone lines. Area code 478-646-3776. That is our number. We can talk football, basketball, baseball, anything on your mind in the world of sports. We've got some more notes we'll go over here. We're at the Taco Shed here in Warner Robins. They'll be open at 5 o'clock. Come get a gourmet taco here from the Taco Shed on Highway 247 here next to the Museum of Aviation in Warner Robins. Back with your phone calls and more sports talk right after this. Bell and Russ here on the radio, talking sports here at 448. Thank you very much for being with us. And uh, we were talking uh, earlier about uh, both the NFL draft and, of course, the defensive linemen. When defensive linemen are talked about with the draft coming up, 
the name that's going to be talked about the most is Jalen Carter from University of Georgia. Bruce Feldman of The Athletic had a very good article about Jalen Carter today. And some people in the article were quoted as saying that they thought that Jalen Carter would have been the first defensive lineman from Georgia drafted a year ago. Well, you may remember that Trayvon Walker was the first overall pick in the draft by the Jaguars. Jordan Davis was a mid-first-rounder by Philadelphia, and then Devontae Wyatt went to the Packers late in the first-round draft of the draft. So that's hard to imagine that Jalen Carter would have been higher than those three. When you have three defensive linemen drafted in the first round and then you turn around and have someone who's looked at as someone even better like Jalen Carter, that's kind of scary. Jalen Carter, I think as we get closer to this draft here in a few months, two months, is is going to be looked at as the best player in the draft. Now, that doesn't mean that he's going to be drafted number one because the Bears at number one have a quarterback in Justin Fields, another former Bulldog, who is a very young player in the early stages of his career. You have teams like Indianapolis, like Carolina, that need young quarterbacks. Seattle also a, a option there for a need for a young quarterback. And the Bears could – I think they would be foolish if they did not trade down with Indianapolis, for example, allow Indianapolis to go up and get their top choice at quarterback to replace – the host, including Matt Ryan, of people who have been trying to be their quarterback for the last couple of years. And then Jalen Carter could still be available at number four, maybe not, but he could still be there at number four when Chicago picks. And if not Jalen Carter, it could be it could be Will Anderson of Alabama. Uh, in, in the meantime, Chicago could get tons of picks uh, in the trade down to from number one to number four. And they, I think they'd be foolish not to considering the needs they have on their team. But Jalen Carter, uh, in talking about the talent, also was a little blurb about how Jalen Carter's character was in that uh, there was a walk-on in Georgia, a preferred walk-on, and they would not let the preferred walk-ons eat at one of the dining halls in Athens. And Jalen Carter paid for that young man who was on the scout team to to basically eat. And – that told a lot about the character of Jalen Carter. You know, Todd McShay brought up something a few months ago, a few weeks ago, whenever it was, about Jalen Carter. He said, including to a friend of mine who asked him about it in Los Angeles, that he was just repeating what he heard. And I know Todd McShay got thrown under the bus for saying that, but he obviously – repeated what he had heard. I don't think he made it up. I don't think – I think most people don't make things up. And, you know, obviously someone had a question about it. And we laughed at the time that it was someone who was hoping that Jalen Carter would fall so that he'd be available to them. I just don't think there's any doubt that this young man is the best player in this draft coming up. And to hear a story like, well, he, you know, paid for his teammate to eat in the dining hall – I think does go to show about his character. And the one thing that made everybody kind of raise an eyebrow when McShay had the story was there had never been any report of any issue at all with Jalen Carter. Now, none of these kids are saints and perfect by any means, but I think we hear things enough to where if there are problems, we would know about it. 
we didn't. And so that's why everybody was a little suspicious of why that had been mentioned by Todd McShay, who obviously heard something from someone. But, you know, my point of all this is I'm kind of glad, Russ, that there was a story that came out that was positive about Jalen Carter. I'm not surprised. And, you know, this, the more you read about this kid – I just don't think there's any doubt, with all due respect to the quarterbacks that are in the conversation and with Will Anderson, that Jalen Carter is the best talent in this draft coming up. He is. And, and, and you know, and you're, if you're Chicago, you mentioned them, they're, they're just sitting in the catbird seat. Because, I mean, could you imagine the ability to trade back to four? You're going to get the equivalent of two second-round picks. Now, however any, Indianapolis wants to do that, probably a first next year and maybe a third or fourth this year. And then you get to choose between those two. I mean, uh, that's that's incredible. And it's like you said, that's one thing about the draft you have to remember. It's not always, you know, the, the, when Terry Fontenot, for example, talks about taking the best player available. Uh, Chris Gonzalez, who they were linked to in a mock draft today, was is ranked as the fifth best player on Dane Brugler's big board. So, you know, if Jalen's the best player, it, it just Chicago has to decide – you know, what's the separation between him and Will Anderson? Because Arizona, I, I guess they're gonna, Kyler Murray's their guy, so I don't think they're going to take a quarterback. Um, so, you know, Arizona would probably take Jalen Carter in that scenario. Um, uh, so unless, unless you could swing a deal with Houston, to, for Houston to come up and make sure they get the quarterback they want so Indianapolis doesn't do that. Uh, so I think you're, you're going to see Chicago trade out of that pick one way or the other, but – yeah, he'll go – Jalen Carter will go in the top five, and I'm just absolutely convinced that that was put out there to get him to fall. I mean, I, I am 100% convinced of that. I think so, too. I, I do. And, and, look, if that's the case, don't blame Tom McShay. Because – right. It, it's not like – I mean, he, he had the, the story um, in his hometown where he gave out the backpacks with the back-to-school supplies yeah. before the season. It's not like there was a big deal made out of that. It's just, hey, Jalen Carter did this thing – and then, you know, in the midst of, you know, the, the, the Todd McShay stuff when it came out, I mean, how easy would it have been to say, oh, no, no, look, he's paying for his teammate's meal. That didn't come out. Right, right. So there's no – you know, it's just noise. And, you, and I think Jalen handled it the right way. You just ignore that stuff. Because you, if you know it's not true, then don't worry about it. One of the players that Jalen Carter has been compared to is Warren Sapp who you may remember a lot of people thought coming out of his draft, whenever it was, whatever year, was the number one player in the draft. And he fell to Tampa Bay, and there were – I think it was marijuana. Wasn't it marijuana yeah. issues, I believe? And, you know, okay, Tampa Bay took him, and Warren Sapp was a Hall of Famer. You know, so talent's always going to win out. But this kid also has character, but I don't think there's any doubt. He, he is the best player in the draft, and uh, it's going to be fun to see where he lands. 478-646-ESPN, 646-3776. We're at the Taco Shed in Warner Robins, and we're back with your phone calls and more sports talk here on The Bill Shank Show.